Thank you for downloading the Wings Museum podcast. In this episode, we hear the story of how a plane crash in January 1944 brought a volunteer to the Wings Museum in 2020. Hi, I'm Adam Trudelaine. I'm a freelance writer and I'm involved here at the Wings Museum with the B-25 Mitchell. Now, I know there's a story behind why you have got involved with the B-25 Mitchell and it's quite a moving one. Yeah, it's also quite a long story, so I try and keep it short. <laughs> Basically, my uh, great-uncle, George Ormandy, was an air gunner with 180 Squadron. The family knew nothing about how he died. We just knew that he died uh, young and, yeah, was in the RAF. That's literally all we knew. My dad had always mentioned to me, that whenever we went to an air museum or anything like that, he was always like, oh, yeah, George flew in, like, a Halifax, or maybe it was, um, yeah, maybe it was a Wellington. It, well, it definitely wasn't a Lancaster, but it was it was something different. And, yeah, my dad would always mention it. And the question was always like, well, what happened to him? And no one knew. So it got to the stage where I was like, well, someone must know something. There must be something in archives or something that we can look at. Why has no one ever done it? My interest was piqued when... I think it was Christmas 2018 that I was at my parents and we were going through old photos and they have the one and only picture that our family has of George, which is a portrait when he was doing his training um, in all his RAF uniform. It's yeah, literally the only copy that we have. So I was like, can this not be digitised? So I bought it home, set it on my uh, coffee table and it was sitting there one, I think it was, yeah, it was January the 7th that it was sitting there and I thought, okay, let's try and look at what's happened started googling around stupidly started googling the wrong surname as you do yeah so eventually realized that it was george ormandy started looking up george ormandy raf and within probably a couple of hours came across a an article that was on the rudgwick historical society sort of saying what happened regarding the crash so straight away i knew he was based in dunsfold yeah we knew that he was 180 squadron which yeah we didn't actually know prior to that that he flew in a mitchell and funnily enough the date of the crash was the 7th of january 1944 so the day that i was looking everything up was uh 70 odd something years to the day and yeah it was just incredibly spooky that i found all that out and we found the story on that day so from then on it's like well yeah let's look into it further and so you kept looking and because of the ones of the internet i presume uh, the story started to fall into place yeah again it's one of those things that without the internet it would have been nigh and impossible to do most of the things that i've done the first thing was i wanted to know where they crashed that was quite easily found because there was another article which was from the dunsfold historical society that was posted online two months previous so that was just sheer fluke and the crash actually happened where the rikyo japanese school now is I mean, did, did you know the area? Did, it, did these things mean anything to you when you uh, read about them? No. So, yeah, I'm from Milton Keynes, so probably about two hours, 100-odd miles yeah, away from... Off your patch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was a lot of looking on Google Maps and thinking, oh, this is where it happened. Yeah, this is where Dunsfold is. So, yeah, it was, again, again without the wonders of the internet. Uh, but yeah, I managed to get hold of the school and said, look, I'm aware that a crash happened. They were aware of the crash and we came down to visit it. And uh, my uncle actually joined us from West Sussex and they showed us where the approximate sort of crash locations were. One's up um, by the stables. Another one is on like a football pitch. 
and yeah, we saw it and it was just sort of patches of land. It was just grass on one and yeah, the others was just trees and shrubs. So, 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 I mean, so the school knew about this when you contacted them. So was that quite a surprise? Yeah, they, they knew about it because um, the Reg Day Museum had been there to show one of the nephews from the other plane that was involved in the crash a few years back. And yeah, they were aware sort of in the background history. So the Riccio School started there in the 70s. But people have been and searched for the planes and people, yeah, they were aware of the rough location. So you they knew about You weren't it. the first person to ask. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Um, but yeah, it struck me when we were there wandering around that how can eight guys have died and there's literally nothing, nothing there at all. It's just a playing field and some shrubs. So it just nagged at me the next sort of week or so. And it was one thing to say, well, this is where a plane came down. But to not know that, I wanted to go further and wanted to actually find evidence that two planes were there and this was the actual location of where this happened. That sparked a whole nother arc and, um, yeah, a search for both planes. So uh, we got in touch with the, I think it was the Surrey Metal Detecting Society or Association. And anyway, they um, we thought that potentially one of the planes was actually in a farmer's field behind, that the original RAF map wasn't quite true to what it was saying. So on a blistering hot day in 2019, we searched field upon field and came across two hydraulic pumps. That's all we found. And the guys were just, yeah, going mad. They were just like, well, we found planes here, there and everywhere. And we should be seeing wreckage in huge, great numbers. And there's just nothing. So we had to then go back, reform sort of our plan. And we then scrapped the maps, just went on eyewitness accounts and where the score roughly said. We went back probably three months later with, um, again, the Surrey detecting guys. Uh, two guys came out this time. And I think three guys came out that time. We searched the lower field literally from one end to the other. And, uh, yeah, again, it seemed sort of fruitless. We were just there like, please let there be something. <laughs> it was, yeah, one of those things where it's like, how many times can we get these guys out to come and look at something? Just <laughs> I'm sure they're more than happy to keep looking. <laughs> so used to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was proper needle in a haystack. And they got to the far corner of the field after about an hour and saw suddenly yeah the detectors lit up and um there was a sort of a circle of wreckage so we found one which was the um 98 plane so basically what happened with the crash was my uncle's plane was coming back in so 180 squadron 98 squadron they were forming up to land at dunsfold but it seems like the 98 squadron leader had the right idea and the 180 squadron leader had the wrong idea of how they were formating so one was going for what we think was a direct approach. The other was sort of doing the normal circuit and then coming in. So it turns out that both sets of boxes of aircraft came together. It turns out that my uncle's plane and the 98 plane that was involved just so happened to be the outer diamond edges of each box. They collided. One sort of belly flopped. I kind of regained control of it. And then it sort of skidded and landed in the lower field. And my uncle's plane just nosedived straight down and we th- believe it still had bombs on board so it exploded when it hit the ground it was only from about 2,000 feet there was damage to the um, stables and one of the eyewitnesses was actually blown into a pond that was there and then there were also reports that there was um, some bombs that were still left over and one went rolling past the local gamekeeper who'd already ducked behind a huge great oak to try and cover himself from the blast and do we know what mission the planes were on that day uh, yeah, so the final mission for both planes and both squadrons was to bomb uh, V1 sites uh, just outside of Cherbourg in France. 
And again, one of those things that nagged at me, I was like, well, what V1 site, what route would they have taken? So again, with help from the guy at Dunsfold Historical Society, we managed to find a 1944 map of the V1 sites in the area. Um, I couldn't find the exact site and he managed to actually find yeah, on this map the, the, the precise site that they were bombing that day. I thought it would be a nice thing to do it would be to visit France to have a look around the uh, V1 site. So it just so happens there's an Airbnb for the chateau that the V1 site is in the grounds of. So again, just stumbled across this and it turns out yeah, they mention in this Airbnb listing that, oh, they have a V1 site in the grounds. <laughs> so that's why we want to visit. So yeah, we planned a trip, uh, went across on the ferry and... Um, yeah, I had a wander around the V1 site, which is pretty much in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but yeah, so well preserved. There's just tons of it there. And you can actually walk down the uh, V1 ramp, which has all been reclaimed by nature. Uh, but yeah, incredible place. And you just think that, yeah, if that day had been slightly different, like, yeah, would 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 some of those buildings not be standing there today? And yeah, really, that's, the, that's one of the reasons why Eight Guys died, was for those bits of concrete that are still standing to this day. So yeah, we found the um, crash location of the 98 plane and then um, the 180 plane was up near the stable so we again we were searching for that and I knew this was my great uncle's plane and again it was kind of fruitless we they found sort of some shells some ammunition but there was nothing to say that a plane had been here and then a few feet away from where I was standing there was a piece of aluminium that came up just completely covered in mud and just twisted like the other bits that we'd found put it all together in a box to take home it was only when i got home that day uh, i cleaned all the mud off it and it was actually um black coated and it's uh, got instructions on it on to feather the prop so it was part of the uh, control panel that's to the right of the pilot so it probably you know was likely to be one of the last things that ernest my granddaughter's pilot would have seen when all this was happening to find that just ties it to that specific plane which was a b25 mitchell in that location yeah the record shows it was exploded so we're 99 percent sure that yeah we found the precise location of each plane and so having to your satisfaction then found these planes were you happy did you just think that's it no as <laughs> <laughs> i know the answer really <laughs> yeah as with all things the whole, well the whole thing from start to finish kind of snowballed so I was just kind of saddened that four guys had died at each location and there was nothing to say that. And that had been the case for 74-odd years, 73 or 74 years at that point. So, yeah, I just couldn't believe that either the original owners of the house hadn't put anything there. There was nothing there by the school, which, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not their thing to try and commemorate anyway. So, yeah, I then started thinking, well, there needs to be some sort of permanent memorial so that people can see and actually realise that, yeah, four lives were lost at each location. That then sent me down a completely different path (laughs) (laughs) because obviously from the outset I was like, well, there's no point in having a memorial without making other family members aware. So I then realised that there needed to be a memorial service to unveil this. And at that time I was only in contact with the family of the pilot in the other plane what's the point in my family and his family going to an unveiling of a memorial for eight guys i had to try and find the other remaining six airmen's families from yeah across the globe basically so 
My great uncle's pilot was from New Zealand, so I ended up from having the whole country of New Zealand managing to get in contact with someone who went to school with his niece. Out of all the, yeah, and it was just literally emailing libraries, emailing local historians, one after the other after the other. They put me in touch with, oh, maybe you should speak to someone in this district. Maybe they'll know. And, yeah, it, it took probably four or five months, which is way quicker than I ever thought, but yeah, we managed to find Ernest's niece who still lived in New Zealand. So it was very difficult to set a date for the service because I was trying to find all these people and yeah, build the memorial, fund it. That took probably uh, around about nine months to completely fund the memorial, start the build, get that to completion. Rico School yeah, have been fantastic throughout. They've been so helpful and great people over there. In fact, one of the things that they said was that without obviously what happened in the second world war there wouldn't be a japanese school there so they were more than honored to have something there to um, commemorate the wider war as well but um, managed to uh, get hold of five out of the six family members Um, i didn't do this myself i had um, help from a guy from the dunsford airfield historical society who's just yeah a whiz at finding people it came down to about a month before the service and I managed to get two front page local newspaper articles to find two airmen who I, yeah, I couldn't find and both families came forward luckily. So what, what part of the world were they? One was um, Lincoln uh, so yeah my parents moved up to Lincolnshire a while ago and yeah it just happened to be Lincoln and the other one was uh, Preston um, so yeah again it was we knew that the airmen were from that area and it just so happens that family were both still there. Uh, one of the airmen is from Abergavenny and we could we couldn't find any living relatives at all uh, there was no brothers no sisters we couldn't find any extended family to me again that felt wrong not having anyone to represent him so I got in contact with the mayor's office and said look um, there's no living relatives at all that we can find yeah would the mayor be willing to attend uh, obviously yeah Abergavenny <laughs> to Dunsfold is quite a journey <laughs> and um yeah they were more than happy to yeah for the mayor to come along and the uh, local historian in Abergavenny who doggedly tried to find this guy's family he also attended so it was great to actually meet them so yeah it ended up being that seven yeah seven out of the eight families were there for the service and obviously some of them nieces and nephews are in their sort of 70s now anyway Um, and there was actually from uh, terry riordan who was the pilot of the um, second plane he's still got sisters who are still alive so two of his sisters who are in their 90s were present which was yeah that was pretty incredible to have them there presumably their reaction to being invited to such a thing was something quite special as well because someone's made the effort to try and remember yeah well that's the thing there's um there's never been anything for any of these airmen and they obviously knew the story i think one of them had been to visit the crash site but at that time they didn't know whether it was one of the two crash sites uh so yeah so for something to actually be there yeah they were yeah incredibly thankful that there was something there and and the one chap that you haven't managed to find the family of presumably there's a reason for that that he was the last of the line kind of thing yeah from what we can see his family moved to Abergavenny um, I believe I think in about 1940 they weren't from the area originally and then it looks as though they moved away from that area again but we managed to find uh, death certificates for both his parents um, as well as him and yeah there was no brothers or sisters there was no no one else from an earlier marriage like there was with a couple of the guys so yeah there was literally no one it was just yeah that was it
And so, what, what is the name of this gentleman? Douglas Morris. I've managed to visit the grave of every single airman. It started off that I wanted to visit George's crew, but then we ended up being in Lincoln, so I went to visit um, one of the guys who was in the other plane, and then from there I was just like, well, yeah, it feels wrong not visiting them all. So again, out of like my own sense of duty to do the right thing. Uh, but yeah, we went to his grave, and yeah, it was really sad to see that we couldn't find anyone for him. It's one well, of those you, things. You never know, someone might pop up means what was the name again uh douglas morris so yeah yeah if, if someone someone might know yeah uh-huh. yeah definitely and of course speaking of the research i mean how easy is it to actually find out about specifics of one squadron one group one whatever in the raf is, is the information out there Yeah, so it's one of those things that, again, I thought it was going to be a nightmare to try and find, but it turns out that a lot of the squadron ops books, like the operations books, which details every mission that they flew on, which crew flew what plane, everything like that, a lot of it's digitised within the National Archives. So even though you have to... um, go to the National Archives to view them on their computers. They're not available on the actual website. They're all just free to download. You can't actually view the physical books because I gather they're too old. I guess if every, yeah, if everyone wants to look. And I presume it is a popular area of research, so there's a fairly good chance lots of people would want to. Yeah, it seems that that's prob- the most likely reason why they were digitised. Um, but yeah, you just um, you have to get a reader's card and then you can just go there, look up the squadron, and yeah, you can just download them, email them to yourself, or yeah, you can put them on a USB stick. So that was why I did for the, um, for George and his crew so yeah we can see every mission they flew on every plane that they were in right up until the end which yeah it's great to have and I mean, did you find records of the crash amongst that there were um, sort of courts of inquiry and stuff like that were quite rushed during the war um, a lot of that stuff so I also contacted the RAF um, air historical branch and it turns out the um, courts of inquiry, there was just so many of them that, yeah, they were destroyed, I think, in the 70s. They were kept for a certain amount of time but weren't released to the public and then were since destroyed. So all that information was there at some point. But, yeah, the RAF still hold info on the, both the crash. So they had the crash report cards for both planes, which, yeah, even details the serial number of the engines on that plane. It's crazy the amount of detail that they have. Uh, that holds sort of uh, approximate crash locations and what happened during the crash. But yeah, they're, they're all there and the Air Historical Branch, again, were incredibly helpful. The numerous letters I wrote to them and just such helpful people. So having found all this information, you've got your memorial, you now have an interest in this kind of plane, the Mitchell. Yeah, so I obviously knew about um, the Doolittle Raid and things like that uh, in the past, but I can't say that I was ever a fan of the Mitchell or had any specific ties to the Mitchell before this. I'll be honest, I hadn't heard of it until fairly recently, so I guess it's (laughs) one of those planes that's sort of under the radar. Yeah, well, it's, um, again, they were hardly used by the RAF, really, compared to US Army Air Force. But, yeah, I didn't know much about Mitchells. I was just, yeah, randomly sort of searching on eBay, as you do, for sort of Mitchell models, things like that. Just generally being a little bit sad and geeky. But um, <laughs> I saved a, uh, I had a watch list saved for RAF B25 and got a notification probably about two months after I originally searched for it. Uh, saying, yeah, that two parts had come up when I had a look and it said crash parts in the description. So, yeah, opening them, just having a look. I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's similar to the bits that we found. Uh, scroll down and, yeah, they were involved in a crash um, at Rudgwick. Uh, it had the squadron number. It had the right plane number. So, yeah, instantly I was just frozen, just chills, like, ran across me. I was like, this is incredible. Originally, someone dug the site in the 60s, it turns out, 
was now selling their collection. So yeah, a frantic message to the guy. Phone call later, and yeah, he confirmed that yeah, his uh, his yeah long-term friend was selling his collection. Yeah, as I said, he went there in the 60s, originally investigated the site. There was also a short report with it saying what they found and what they think happened to the planes. Couldn't come to a deal with the guy for selling them directly to me, obviously. Managed to win um, two sets of them. And then it turns out that I was bidding against Wings Museum. And (laughs) the third set (laughs) is now sitting in the museum, which I found um, last year, January 2020, when I came here to look at the Mitchell. We were wandering around and suddenly... Yeah, there's um, some pieces in a case, and it says Terry Riordan, pilot, and uh, regarding the crash, I was like, oh. So, (laughs) yeah, turns out Wings Museum have a lot more money than me to bid on old parts on eBay. (laughs) So it turns out that a B-25 that was languishing for many years at various different places in the UK uh, had been taken on by Wings Museum, so... My parents and I came down to just have a look to see a Mitchell sort of up close. I mean, there are there is one in Duxford, there's one in Hendon, uh, both in U.S. Army Air Force colours. Uh, but yeah, to see one being restored, we came down and yeah, happened to come across Daniel while we were here. Um, Daniel already knew of me due to yeah various things that have been online and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Daniel was more than aware of me when I said yeah who who I was. He said it would be great for me to help out if I could in some way. So yeah, to help out, yeah, it's just great. It's to have that sort of like family sort of connection and to feel like I'm bringing sort of some of the past back because there isn't an RAF coloured Mitchell currently on display in the UK. So yeah, for that to come to fruition, yeah, I feel it's something that yeah I should do for George and the crew. For more information about the B-25 Mitchell bedsheet bomber project, have a look at the Wings Museum website www.wingsmuseum.co.uk and the project's very own Facebook page facebook.com slash b25mitchellbedsheetbomber <laughs>